Hello, everyone, and welcome to Minute 28 of Season 5 of Movie Around Minute, the daily podcast where we yippee our way through the 1990 Bruce Willis action flick, Die Hard 2, Die Harder, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me once again today is Duncan Shields. Welcome back, Duncan. Hey there. I didn't jump on it that time. That's right. Well, because that's why I didn't say where you were even from. (laughs) (laughs) Duncan Duncan is from chronologically speaking. That's right. (laughs) I figured I would I would wait and let you jump in, and then after that I would say it. <laughs> yeah. So minute twenty eight begins with the rent a car girl flirting back, and ends with the captain having some uh, interesting news. So yesterday we ended things with John uh, starting to flirt a little too much with rent a car girl. You know, he says thank you to her, and this minute begins with her looking back at him and mouthing the words "You're welcome." <laughs> Again, as we said yesterday, not a very smart move for John to be doing, but I guess the fact that his wife is, you know, flying somewhere above uh, the continental U.S. at this point, I don't think it really makes a difference. You know, she won't catch him until she actually sees the movie. (laughs) That's right. right. (laughs) And then uh, the shot changes and we see the uh, control tower from the outside. I'm uh, reminded of that little bit in... um... Uh, Monty Python on the Holy Grail. Totally a model. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is uh, barely, a, I don't know for sure, whatever, but it looks to me like a model. Yes, it, it definitely does. Yeah. And then we get the inside and we, we, we get uh, two characters that we're going to see quite often throughout the rest of this movie. We That's have right. uh, Fred Dalton Tom, Thompson. The uh, one and only. The one and only who who plays uh trudeau right uh, i guess i guess i guess his job is he's the head of of the control tower uh they, they never actually state, uh, they never actually state what his job is uh whatever his job is he's definitely in charge yes uh and well for now and then <laughs> yeah and the, the second guy we, we see there is barnes uh played by art evans yeah and right behind him is uh art evans he's he's in his 80s now still uh still acting doing a nice job he yeah. he actually has 120 credits in uh on imdb he's definitely one of those oh that guy character actors where you see him and you're like oh yeah right 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 you, you can't place him but you've seen him in a bunch of other stuff for sure he i remember there's that uh i read that he was on an episode of family matters actually oh really a, a man a man claiming to be santa claus uh who i think maybe was not well mentally or something like that but um maybe on a very special Christmas episode of, of Family Matters. So <laughs> maybe uh, the one and only Reginald Bell Johnson and, uh, and Art Evans, um, maybe they, they, they met on this production and then they, or they've, they've crossed paths a couple times maybe. Right. Well, I don't know how much they met. I mean, we did mention the fact that uh, Reginald Bell Johnson probably has like a, a, a day of shooting. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. They did not meet yeah. on this film, but it's cool that he ended up on Family Matters at some yes. point. Yes, that's true. Right. And uh, the two of them start talking. And then we we hear just as the storm starts breaking, the satellite will feed up and drop the other shoe. Look at this new front moving in. Makes its baby brother look like chicken. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's Trudeau for you. That's Trudeau. And then Barton responds, I can stand down the runway and run the plows between landings if you downshift them. Give me time to work. You got it. And then Trudeau says, all right, everybody, let's slow down our birds before we get a parking lot over our heads. The line starts at the Mississippi, and they better start taking numbers. 
fantastic. It's a it's a great little scene. I like the fact of the the way that they they do this just to 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 quickly introduce these two characters who we're gonna see a lot of throughout the rest of the movie. Yeah, you know, and we just get techno jargon from them dealing with the fact that and giving us ex- exposition about the, yeah. the fact of how bad the weather is. You know, which which yeah. works, which just works in uh, you know the bad guy's favor. That's it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, well, this movie, the, uh, the the people in charge, the 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 manly manly men who are doing all the manly man stuff, they they sure do like to swear a lot, you know. And that's his, yes, uh, that's true. Like, this storm's gonna make his little brother look like chicken shit. And I'm like, oh, he's the boss. Oh, that's okay. right. But he does exude that authority, you know. And it's uh, all right, everybody, let's call our birds and slow them down before we get a parking lot over our heads. The line starts at the Mississippi, and they better start taking numbers, you know. It's that's that, right. It's, uh, you know, it's very authoritative. Very authoritative, but also that that drowsy, folksy, you know, you know, like I think it was Bill Bill Paxton's dad. He, he, whenever when Bill Paxton was being interviewed on the show, he would say that his his dad always had this like you know lexicon of aphorisms from the deep south that didn't make any sense you know like you what he said was like you know that guy's richard and six feet up a bull's ass you know and it's like well well, what is what what does that mean you know like so all these sort of who cares you know it's like busier demand busier than a one-legged man in an ass-kicking contest and 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 all these kind of these things like that. So this the line starts at the Mississippi, and they better start taking numbers with all these colorful kind of situational sayings that uh, you know they go. And everybody's like, "All right." So I'm I'm kind of it's one of those things where if I had worked under him for a while and I knew that he knew what he was talking about, I would be put at ease by him talking like that. But if yeah. I had just joined and I had no idea whether or not he was full of hot air or actually knew what he was talking about, I'd be like, okay, so when you say the line starts at the Mississippi and they better start taking numbers, factually, technologically, practically, what do you actually mean? Like, I'm going to need more from you than uh, than that. So, but, uh, but Apparently it really they all does. <laughs> they're all, they're, they're a season team. They know what they're doing. And he's got, he exudes that authority. But I, well, I mean, yeah, well, we're going to assume we're going to talk about him. Right. So what what I love also is when he's giving his speech, if you look at, at behind him, yeah. so directly behind him, there's like a huge walkie-talkie. Yeah. Okay. And then on the right-hand side of him, or his left-hand side, but our right, right side of the screen, you see like these three little statuettes. Now, I think I know what they are, but what what do you what do you think? I would say it's seen evil, hear no evil, uh, speak no evil. That would be my yeah. guess. That was that was my guess too. Uh, but we have absolutely no way of really knowing that. That that's just a a shot in the dark. Yeah. Because also they're not all the same size. So that that's what would be strange. If it, they were all the same size, I would say it's definitely that. But uh, it looks like a mommy bear, papa bear, and baby bear type of thing. I don't know. Yeah, sure. It might be peanuts characters or, or trophies or something. Right. They've all got maybe, base. Maybe later on in the movie we'll we'll, we'll get a closer look at it, but uh, at this point it's it's a little difficult to tell about that. Yeah. So I, I mean, right. I, I know you're from Canada, but but what do you know about Mississippi? I've put my feet into the Mississippi. I went to. No, I'm a... talking about the state. I'm talking about the state first. Oh. <laughs> we'll, we'll get we'll get to the river in a second. I'm 
surpassingly familiar with the river because I was in St. Paul, Minnesota, and uh, Mississippi goes, the mighty Mississippi goes through there, but I don't know much about the state itself. Okay, so the state of Mississippi is a state on the southeastern region of the U.S. It's bordered by Tennessee, Alabama, the Gulf of Mexico, Louisiana, and Arkansas, and its western boundary is defined by the Mississippi River. Mississippi is the 32nd largest state by area and the 35th most populous state. That far down? Yep. Huh. I'd have thought it would be uh, higher up. Okay. Yeah. So the, its nickname is the Magnolia State, which is the state flower. It's ah. also known as the Hospitality State. The state bird is the Mockingbird. Did, oh, did, that's did a kill pretty... mo- Did the Killing yeah. Mockingbird take place in, in uh, Mississippi? I think it did. I'm not sure. Did Magnolia take place in Mississippi? No, Magnolia was no, in LA. No, Magnolia was in LA. Right. Yeah. Um, and what do you think the state beverage is? Uh, hooch. I'm going to say moonshine. No, it's yeah, actually... Illegal, any kind of illegally produced corn mash in a bathtub. Bathtub, uh, bathtub liquor, that would be my guess. <laughs> and you would be very wrong because it is, it is the last thing you're going to think of. It's milk. Champagne. What? Milk? You're correct. That was the last <laughs> thing I was thinking of. I don't know. <laughs> wow. That's something uh, is that no. is unexpected. Mockingbird's a really cool uh, state bird to have, though. That's not just a, a yellow-breasted warbler or something. Mockingbird comes with a bunch of metaphor and mythology and legend attached to it, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. No, that actually takes place in, in I think, it takes place in Alabama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it takes place in Alabama. So it's, it's a little strange that uh, I guess I guess they had mockingbirds in Alabama too. I guess I'm not really sure what the title to Killing Mockingbird, like what the relevance of that title is to the book, because like I've read the book, I know what it's about, I've seen the movie, but I'm not. I think I'm forgetting something. It's been a long time. Um, I I don't remember either. Uh, um, so what do we got? But when he says the line starts at the Mississippi, I assumed he was talking about the. Yeah, yeah, river. he's talking about he's talking about the river. He's talking about the river. Okay. For sure. Right. But I just I figured since it's being brought up, I'll talk about both the state and then the the river. So Mississippi yeah. was was the twentieth state admitted to the union, and it was admitted in in eighteen seventeen. Okay, by eighteen sixty, it was the nation's top cotton producing state. And what percentage of the population of the state in eighteen sixty do you think were slaves? Uh, what per, in 18, 1860, what percentage were slaves? What percentage of the population of Mississippi? And uh, of the state of Mississippi? Yes. Uh, and it was, you said it was the f- number one in cotton production? Yes. Okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for a pretty high 60%. You're very close, 55%. Oh, my gosh. Okay, it was the largest slaveholding state in the nation. At the time. Not a not a not a not a not a record I would wish on any state really honestly. Right. Right. No, I understand that, but I'm just you know I'm I'm talking facts here. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so let's talk about the Mississippi River, which you said you put your feet in at some point in Minnesota. St. Paul, Minnesota. Yeah, I went. St. Paul, Minnesota. In the okay. summer, I went down there in the summer, and uh, it was a poetry thing, and we had a chance to go down to the Mississippi. So I took off my shoes and my socks. And I walked down and I put my feet in the Mississippi. And that was a pretty, pretty big moment. I felt very um, 
a momentous moment in Duncan Shields' life. <laughs> yeah, because I, I, you know, it's not like I spent my entire life wanting to see it, but it's famous, and it was really cool to actually, in some small way, become a part of it for some short amount of time. You know? Okay, that's fair. It's understandable. So it is the second largest river, okay, and it is the second longest river in in the North America. Right. Okay. okay. So- the only one that's larger is the Hudson Bay drainage system. Mm-hmm. It's, it's its source is Lake uh, Itasca in northern Minnesota, and it flows south for two thousand three hundred and forty miles to the Mississippi River Delta in the Gulf of Mexico. Okay, it is the thirteenth largest river in the world, and it borders or passes through. How many states do you think it? it let, let's let. Let's let you guess this one. How many states do you think uh, it either borders or passes through? I'm going to go with 14. 10. 10. 10. Right, here. There you go. So you got Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, Illinois, Missouri, Kentucky, Tennessee, Arkansas, Mississippi, and Louisiana. Right on. Now, where do you think the name Mississippi comes from? I'm going to guess it's First Nations. Yes, that is correct. It is a, it originally from the tribe of uh, Ojibwe, Ojibwe, yeah, Ojibwe. Ojibwe, and it, it means great river. Yeah, aptly the mighty Mississippi. It is, the Mississippi River is considered the line that divides the western uh, U.S. from the eastern U.S. and the southern and midwestern regions. Really, it's pretty far east for that to be seen as that. I thought it's, if I pitch I, I, if I picture it in my head, it's yeah. not really down the middle of the country. No, it's not down the middle of the country, but I guess it's it's very convenient because of the fact that it just flows almost in a straight line. Yeah, you know, from enough. from top to bottom type of thing, and it is symbolized by the Gateway Arch in St. Louis and the phrase Trans Mississippi. Trans Mississippi. Yeah. Yeah. So what the arch in St. Louis is that where the like how do, how does how does the Mississippi? It's like the gateway. It, it's the gateway to the west. Oh, I see. I see. I see. Okay. Right. 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 I've always wondered what that was. Okay. So that's what it. That's what it is. Okay. It's the arch. It's the gateway yes. to the west. I see. Okay. You know, think of think of uh, you know Star Trek or Stargate or something like that. You know, it's you go yeah. through that and you're just transported into the west. Immediately transported one foot to the west. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yes. And then the, the the scene changes, and we we see a fake northeast airplane air, aircraft uh, flying in fake fog. Yep. And and then we were back in the the plane itself, and we see a woman uh, reading a magazine called Country Inns. And I gotta say, I I searched for way too long to try and find out what it is, and I couldn't find it anywhere. Was, oh really? I've I found it pretty uh pretty quick, but I don't really? know if it's still being published. Yeah, country. No, I, I was looking for information about it. I found a few magazines of country inns, but I couldn't find the information as to you know when it was started and you know who puts it out and things like that. So oh, why don't you tell us what you found? What did you find? Well, I just uh, I just found that it was uh, a niche kind of travel magazine that was it's it's not fake was basically right. Uh, I, what I found out it's it's a legit magazine that was going around. Um, you can buy back issues of it on eBay, and I just don't know if it's still being published. I think there's still a live website, right? But I'm not sure. 
Right. I mean, you can see on the one that she's reading, it says bed and breakfasts. Yeah. Yeah. For the discerning traveler, country yeah. inns. It seems to me is very niche. Very yeah. niche. When Must it comes just to be traveling. on Northeast Airlines, you know. Yeah. <laughs> the fictional Northeast Airlines. <laughs> yes. Um, then we see the stewardess walking by, and she's got some champagne. And then she stops at Holly and says, can I get you another? And then Holly's not really sure. And then she looks over, and she sees our good friend uh, Thornburg yawning. <laughs> good old William Atherton. That's right. And, he, and she goes, no, thank you. I only have to look at his face for another 20 minutes. And so as she says that, we then hear the 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 captain you know turn on the uh, uh announcement it says ladies and gentlemen this is the captain speaking and that's pretty much how the, this minute ends but i i wanted to, to go back a little bit um so we see thornburg yawn what do you what do you know about yawning uh, uh i know that the uh like hiccuping and crying the idea of where it came from and what it's about is sort of still in the arena of theory that is that, correct. I mean, that's, yeah, that's all I know yeah. about yawning. Is there like, we, yeah, we'll, we we'll get to it in a second. We'll get in a second, but there's apparently 20 different reasons that people have proposed, that scholars have proposed as to why people yawn. We're not going to get into all the 20, what the 20 are. That's a are, long but, list. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but basically a yawn is a reflex characterized by a long ins uh, inspirational phase with gradual mouth gaping, followed by a brief. Oh my God, man. There you go. You just made me yawn. <laughs> was that real? Just talking, just, yeah. Was that real? Just talking about it. Wow. Off. wow. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it, it includes muscle stretching and a rapid ex, uh, expiratory phase with muscle relaxation, which typically lasts a few seconds. Almost all vertebrate animals, including mammals, birds, reptiles, amphibians, and even fish, experience yawning. Okay, fish. I never knew that. I never knew that. I thought it was just, you know, something that humans do. Never thought more about that. Do you, do you know well, what the I, study of yawning is called? No, I'm aching to find out. I, I better not be yawnology. That's no, it's it's chasmology. Chasmology. Or chasmology. Maybe yeah, chasm. Maybe chasm. Maybe chasm, chasm uh, the chasm yeah. of your jaw as it opens. Maybe chasmology. Which sort of which sort of makes sense because the the etymology of the word yawn uh, comes from uh, a, a uh, like a Norse. Uh, yeah, that's, that's uh, words that means gap that means gap yeah like so, uh what's it in uh, dead poet society when you scream your yop. barbaric yop right? yeah that's like that's right. just one letter away from being yawn like it's just a big open mouth that's correct yeah so it, it most often uh often occurs in adults immediately before or after sleep during tedious activities or as a result of its contagious quality. It's associated with uh, tiredness, stress, sleepiness, boredom, and even hunger. In humans, yawning is often triggered by the perception that others are yawning or yeah. talking to someone on the phone who is <laughs> yawning. Yeah. So you see, you didn't make me yawn when you yawn, but that, that's still pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, the contagious yawning has also been observed in chimpanzees, dogs, cats, birds, and reptiles and, and can occur between members of different species. So in other words, you can get your dog to, to yawn? Is that what they're saying here? Well, I think maybe your dog can yawn and it'll make you yawn. I think it goes both ways. Could be. I know yeah. uh, one time a very, a memory that's like burned into my head was I was at 
we used to have a zoo in Vancouver uh, until I was about seven or something. It, it didn't last. Uh, well, it, it, it wasn't around for much of my life, but we went to, to the zoo once and I had my, um, you know, my face pretty close to the glass in one of the snake enclosures, it's one of the snake terrariums. And the snake yawned. The snake came right up to the right up to the glass, and uh, put the side of its head against the glass, and then it yawned. And I've never seen anything so amazing in my life, because it, uh, you know, they unhinged their jaws, and it unhinged its jaws for the yawn. Wow. So it, its its mouth opened opened up and kept opening up and kept opening up until like its its entire head like split in half and then like widened and like unhinged and then it stretched so like it tilted its jaws back and forth and uh flexed its fangs kind of thing like it just it just completely like flowered open and disassembled uh and then uh and then you know rolled its tongue out and then it closed its mouth again like it looked like i've never seen anything yawn <laughs> like that wide in my entire life and i was the only one that wow. saw it you know i turned around and i was like did anybody else see that snake yawn and everybody was like no no come on Duncan, we gotta go we, we, come on Duncan, stop making up stories yeah like it was <laughs> like it was just for me i'd I'd never so for a sec you know for a while i was like i didn't know the snakes could yawn but uh they can and it's quite a sight i don't know if there's youtube clips of snakes yawning out there there probably is but uh it's something to see when an animal that can unhinge its jaw yawns. It's quite uh, quite something. Oh, that's cool. Okay, very good. So, um, so the steward is coming around and, and is you know filling up a little champagne. So one of the things that I was trying to find was is like why is it so prominent for people to want to drink champagne uh, on airplanes? You know, you, you see it often in movies. With uh, you know the shooter just walking around with a bottle that's wrapped in a towel or something like that. Yeah, to hide the um, label. Maybe. <laughs> and keep and keep or it cold. Or sure. to keep it chilled, keep it chilled, right? So I, I I did a little search and I came up with something even more interesting to talk about that that apparently food and drinks that that you have while you're in flight um, are notorious for not having the same flavor as they do on the ground. Sure. Sure. Okay, um, and there's apparently a scientific explanation uh, as to why. Okay, for the instance, pressure, for instance, they, they did a study that yeah. salt is uh, between twenty and thirty percent less intense, and sugar is between fifteen and twenty percent less intense when you huh. when consuming them in the air. Okay, it has a lot to do with the combination of dryness and pressure inside the cabin. Conversely. Sure. Um, our perception of acidity remains more or less unaffected, unaffected. The dryness also prevents our nose from picking up the smell, which accounts for 80% of the perceived sense of taste. Ah. Okay. Um, for this reason, most uh, more expressive but not too acidic wines should be preferred to be drunk while in flight. Okay. Uh, you could also consume your drink at the beginning of the flight and before the conditions affect your senses uh that could also help ah i see right? um when the the flight is at altitude the sparkling wine produces larger bubbles in champagne that oh. stick to the walls of the glass rather than the steady stream of finer bubbles that hit the surface when observed on the ground 
and therefore it, it results in an overall reduction of champagne's aroma. Huh. No, I, I always used to love drinking ginger ale on pl- on planes, and they do claim, and I think we talked about this in When Hiring at Sally, that the taste is very different. You know, because it does of, taste a little different. Yeah. <clears throat> One thing uh, I love drinking on planes is tomato juice with ice or a V8 with ice. And that is not something I go anywhere near on the ground. But Correct. In the plane, in a, in a, in a plane, I'm just like, mm, yeah, boy, this hits the spot. Yeah, nice. we, we, we actually talked about that also in When I Met Sally because, oh, okay, because yeah. Sally orders tomato juice. And, oh, and, she does. Okay, and I came go. up with some, I, I came up with an article that was talking about the fact that, that tomato juice tastes different uh, in flight. Yeah, yeah, I can dig that. Like yeah. one thing, I uh, my nose is very very thin. Like my nostrils, I've just got like a couple of paper cuts for nostrils, really. And when I was younger, my doctor recommended that if I was more inclined to like you know professional sports or whatever, to actually get them uh, drilled, to get them cored out and widened. I've, uh, I've there's some people out there that have such thin nasal passages that they 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 have a, a you know like a, they put in a drill there and, and widen the widen the nasal passages. It's more complicated than just sticking a drill in there, but that that's the that's the essential uh, thrust of it. But um, but I've always heard that smell makes up for eighty percent of taste. But my sense of smell has been pretty non-existent for like my whole life, so I don't. But I feel like my sense of taste is is fine. Wow. But I have nothing to compare it to, so right. What do I what do I know? Yes. My pa- my palate feels complex. My palate feels like I know, but uh maybe I'm only experiencing twenty percent of what taste actually is. And I'll and I'll never know. Right. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I, uh, have you talked about Fred Dalton Thompson yet? I uh, know, this is the first time we've seen. Okay, because I looking him up blew my mind. I hadn't I had You didn't no know he was a presidential I, candidate? No. Wow. I did not know that. You didn't did know, he, know was a, he was a he was he was also a very um, famous lawyer beforehand, and that's what brought that's what started his acting career because he played himself. That's right. I had no idea. Like he's a a, 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 a successful Tennessee senator from 1994 to uh, just just four years after Die Hard 2, and mm-hmm. uh, tried to run for president in 2008. But he 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 acted like like I know Al Franken got into politics after being on Saturday Night Live, you know, but mm-hmm. uh, I don't think I've ever heard of somebody doing it at the same time because Fred Dalton Thompson was acting while he was a senator. So he would be in the Senate, jet off to act, come back to, to be in the Senate again. And yeah, like minority counsel to the Watergate committee in 73 and 74, mm-hmm. lawyering all through the 80s. Uh, this whole authoritative southern drawl thing that he's got going on in this movie i'm like i was thrilled to learn that he's like a for real senator and lawyer that exudes that energy because i can just picture him going ladies and gentlemen of the jury you know like uh, <laughs> like you know his, his closing argues his good old boy closing arguments and his uh now i'm not saying we should pass every bill that comes across our desk but i am saying that my faith is in this bill that's being passed today like i could see him yeah. really sort of you know, bringing that folksy wisdom to the floor in the Senate and folksy wisdom to the courtroom. And uh, I'm just, you know, this, it, it seems like he's one of those guys that like, none of it's an act. 
Um, he's just applying his intellect and his character to as many theaters of experience that will accept him. You know, like because I just to be to be a lawyer and a senator and a presidential candidate and an actor and be arguably you know successful in all uh, in all aspects except for you know he never became president but i don't know i was like he sounds like like just the most fascinating and interesting guy that's wild what 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 a long list of accomplishments there. yeah seriously i mean i think he left us in what 2015 or something 2015 think, yeah. hmm? amazing i had no idea about any of that it was great oh and, and, the, and the yeah and the fact that the character he's playing is trudeau Yes. And our, our Canada's prime minister is Trudeau. So every time somebody's like Trudeau, I'm like, oh, OK, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm actually very interested in seeing uh, the movie that, that that he plays himself in his first uh, yeah. you know, called Marie, a true story. But I haven't been able to find a copy of it for years. I've been trying to find a copy of it to be able to see oh, what it is God. that he does there. So I'll have, I'll have to keep looking. I'll, I'll probably find something somewhere. You know, it's very very interesting uh, to 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 see you know what he did as a lawyer you know that started yeah. that that basically jump started that you see the the fact is is that law case uh you know that 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 court courtroom case uh launched two careers for him basically you know it, it put him in the spotlight yeah. you know both in the real world in as a lawyer and in you know and then as an actor so you know, I think that's great. All right. You have anything else before we get into the script? Nope. Okay. So the, the script is actually uh, a quarter of a page, probably even not that much. It, it completely skips the entire discussion between Trudeau and Barnes. Doesn't appear okay. at all. And it starts off with, uh, it says, in, uh, interior of Holly's plane, the nice stewardess comes over to Holly, takes her glass. Need another? And then Holly just says, I don't think so. I only have to look at his face for 15 more minutes. So again, you know, it's pretty much the same. There's not much of a change there. And then, you know, then the captain starts talking. And that's it. You know, it doesn't mention the fact that, that uh, you know, she looks over at a board Thornburg or anything like that. So, you know, nice, nice and concise. Uh, I wonder if later on in the script, it'll bring us back to, to this uh, conversation about the Mississippi. But uh, that is not going to happen uh, this week, at least. Yeah, I do. Uh, I do actually have uh, just a, a couple more things that I remembered here. Sure. Uh, one, one is that I'm starting to develop a theory that this entire movie is a dream that McLean had, uh, or McLean. I think this is a, a dream that McLean's having. <laughs> I think he's. This is an inception moment with. Uh, you mean like McLean. like the fact that Indiana Jones is Han Solo and Carbonite? Uh, yeah, you know, dreaming about it. So, so what happened? Exactly. What happened to McLean that that he's in a coma? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I think something happened, maybe at Nakatomi, or maybe he's just having a having a dream. Um, but the other thing is that I can't for a second believe that an air traffic control tower is supposed to be this dark and moody. Uh, I, I would assume that an air traffic control tower would be brightly lit, and uh, have. Uh, you know, be able to see everything. And that's something that's pervasive in this entire movie is that every set is drenched in smoke. And uh, it's very, 
you know, moody, like everything's on emergency lighting and it, like the, the, the interior airport scenes are the only ones that seem to be kind of brightly lit. Everything else is very, very um, impressionistic with its lighting in a way that I'm like, this, this is part of the dreamlike feel that I'm starting to get from it is I'm like, this is not how an air traffic control tower would, would be lit. <laughs> and there's, uh, I don't know if you ever read the book Millennium. Uh, by, no. Uh, the theory in, in Millennium is that there's, uh, in the future, after 25 nuclear wars, um, the population of Earth is... Well, like, I've seen the movie where they go back yeah, and, yeah. and take people from the planes that are about to crash. Yeah, they, okay. Yeah. They, find, they find disasters where everybody died, and then they replace all their bodies with fake clones before the disaster, and they kidnap the people on the plane or the boat or whatever and bring them to the future. To yeah, put them into that was with uh, Chris Christopherson, I think. Chris Christopherson and, and uh, uh, Cheryl Teagues, right? No, something like that, though. Shoot. Like like Laura Dern's mom or something. Famous in her own right. Really? Awful movie, but uh, or at least it has its, its has it, it has its moments. But in the book, there was a lot of research done on air traffic control towers. And if an air traffic control tower loses Cheryl power, Ladd, Cheryl Ladd. I was Cheryl Ladd. I was close. Right. Cheryl Ladd. Yeah. And Daniel J. Travanti was also in that. Who? Daniel J. Travanti, who was in uh, Hill Street Blues. Oh, okay, cool. Um, in uh, if the power goes out in a control tower, all of the digital displays will roll down flat, so they become. Uh, analog displays so you put markers literal like chess pieces or whatever onto the now flat display of where the planes were at the last time that they were on the digital display and that way you can still kind of track them for a little bit in an emergency situation so i know that uh like when the power goes out we're not there yet but when the power goes out here everybody's just like oh no we're dead in the water and it's totally useless and nothing else can happen. <laughs> but that's not the way. There, there, there are contingency. There's contingency hardware in place in control towers for when the power goes out. Or at least there was when the book Millennium was written. Oh, wow. Okay. Very cool. Thank you that's for all. that. That's all. Okay. Thank you for that. So every Wednesday we have a segment called Off the Beaten Track Airplane Airport Edition, where my guests will give some sort of story, anecdote, uh, Adventure, misadventure, something that happened to them over the course of their life that is somehow related to either an airplane or an airport. So, Duncan, do you have a story for us? I do, but I'm starting to have a horrifying suspicion that I told this same is this, story. Is this the one when you showed up in in, uh, in New York and you had to quickly write, <laughs> fill, out, fill out your... Uh... Yeah, yeah, when Officer <laughs> Carpaccio was like, are you a fast writer? Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. Well, I did tell that one because that was such a great golden, uh, golden. And moment. you see, the, even the, after the, even after all this time, I still remember that story. That's pretty good. Yeah. The other the other two things that I can think of is that um, uh, once I was in a plane and I saw the Northern Lights, but they were like beside the plane, so they weren't uh, they weren't like above me in the sky. Oh wow. Uh, being obscured by, um, you know, atmospheric disturbance or whatever, they were like like beside me i was seeing them in a lateral a lateral way so they were far away from the plane and they were just 
like brilliant because there was no air or atmosphere in the way. Uh, and they, they were there for a good long time. Um, another time I was, there was an eclipse. And because we were on a plane that was kind of chasing the eclipse, the eclipse lasted for, you know, like twice as long as it usually would have if you were just watching oh, it wow. on the ground. And it was a, it was a, yeah, big full moon. Um, I guess you'd call that a lunar eclipse or I forget yeah. what I think they're. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think so. I guess what you would call it. So, so those were pretty good. And I remember once I was on a plane and there was a guy beside me, uh, East Indian, I think he had a, like a, a turban, but he was wearing like a really, really nice, expensive blue suit and a firm, like just a really well manicured uh, beard and mustache. And we, he didn't uh, speak English and I didn't speak his language. Uh, so we had this like, long 12-hour flight together and i remember we were both uh laughing our heads off at the mr bean shorts that were playing for the, <laughs> the passengers is a bit where mr bean gets his electric razor caught in his nose hair and uh, uh me and this guy had a, a, a just a great laugh at that we were like oh my god it's caught in the nose hair like we like nose hair pain is universal yes and uh, so i like that and because mr bean is nonverbal, um i just think it's awesome that he can have have a laugh at Mr. Bean movies with whoever the world over. So that was a that was a really nice moment on a plane. Oh, that's really cool. All right, thank you yeah. for that. So Duncan, you want to once again tell people how they can get in touch with you? Uh, TronologicallySpeaking.com is still going, and uh, hopefully we're going to get into Tron Legacy at some point and uh, continuing rumors of Tron Three that have haunted the internet for nigh on fifteen years. Uh, like, well, I guess maybe ten. <laughs> uh, what was it? Legacy came out in two thousand and ten. So, right. so hopefully, fingers crossed, Tron Three comes out at some point. But yeah, just uh, go to Buy Duncan Shields and all your basic social media. All right. Well, and finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Move Rob Minute. You can find me on my on my website, moverobminute.com. You can find me on Facebook, and you can find me on Twitter. So until tomorrow, yippee ki yippee ki If you're fond of sand dunes and salty air, quaint little villages, here. 